Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into the April scavenger hunt review in today's episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. All right. Uh, like I said, it's kind of been a while uh, since since I've done one of these. Um, I believe the last one was 20 last year's April. So it's been a year since I've had to do an episode of this. Not had to, but, um, you know, with all the other uh, types of episodes I've been trying to do, Scavenger Hunt ones kind of take a lot of work to... to you know, find thing uh, to figure out a way to perhaps make the movies that I watch for the scavenger hunt relevant in other, you know, in the top 10 actors lists, um, in the, you know, circle of film, you know, going backward circle of film episodes and so forth, uh, is a really tough prospect. And, and of course, you know, 30 movies in a month. And for those of you who listen, I generally watch many, many more movies than that per month, but you know, that's a sizable chunk for anybody, you know, myself included. And uh, it's, it takes, you know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of balancing that is required. So uh, that being said, that being said, uh, today's episode is going to be the scavenger hunt superlatives. uh, As I go through some of the movies that really stuck out to me from the this month's scavenger hunt for good or for bad and you know see how they stack up against some of the other movies that i've seen so i believe on the website there are eight scavenger hunt superlatives listed for each superlative and um i think they're missing last year's april month so uh, that needs to be added but uh there's another this will be the 10th scavenger hunt that I put that, that I've done, um, which is, it's a milestone, 10. There you go. Uh, overall, I would say this hunt was fairly, fairly solid. Um, I think the top 13 movies got positive scores from me, so a 60 or more. And uh, then there were a couple in the middle. And then the bottom 14 movies got a sub-50 score. Uh, so pretty balanced, all things considered. Uh, maybe leaning a little on the bot- lower end. I think the lower end is a little more drastic. Um, there are four films that I gave half a star to. And only two films that I gave four more stars to. Uh, but a lot of films in that you know three, three and a half star range. And, and we'll talk about those. Uh, but, yeah. Let's uh, we're, let's do it. Let's do the scavenger hunt superlatives. Starting with the biggest surprise of the month. Now, I remember when I previewed these movies, uh, a bunch of them I was prepared for. I had rec- you know the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, uh, good movie, but I had heard good things about it. Uh, Jean Dielman, uh, twenty three, Quatre Commerce, ten eighty, Brussels. Again, a film I had heard really good things about, and you know, when I when it was good, did not surprise me. Uh, the same can be said for Kagemusha and Woman in the Dunes, Sorcerer. Uh, you know, most of the best films I watched from this hunt 
uh, I was prepared for them to be good to great. And so the best film I saw that I wasn't necessarily expecting to be good, the one that uh, even I think it w- it made my top 10 of the month for April. And I remember when I <coughs> doing that episode, I talking about this movie, I said, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I kind of surprised myself how much I enjoyed this. And that's Casa de Lava. Casa de Lava from 1994, directed by Pedro Costa, starring Isaac de Banco and Inez de Medeiros, uh, is a Portuguese film uh, that translates to Down to Earth, or or I guess not doesn't translate to, but its alternative, alternative title is Down to Earth. Uh, it's a drama uh, about the relationship between Mariana and uh, Isaac Banco's character, Leao. I believe it's pronounced Leao. And I just, you know, I talked about it a little already, so I won't go too deep into it, but I really enjoyed it. I think it's a beautiful film visually. Uh, the, the landscape and colors, it's so vibrant. And it manages to have uh, just enough narrative uh, so that... I was constantly invested. I, I cared about these characters, whether or not the story was, you know, particularly uh, engaging the plot specifically, but the characters, uh, you know, particularly Mariana is is someone I really wanted to, you know, go on this journey with, and it is a journey. It, it leads to a lot of different places, and that's that's something you want in a movie you want to be shown things you're unfamiliar with um or or things you are familiar with but in a new light and i think this has a little bit of both it it shows you know the landscapes the place at cape verde um you know i'm not really familiar with portugal i'm not you know you know they leave lisbon um all these places i'm not familiar with and seeing them is gorgeous the people in them you know all this stuff is so much it's so fascinating and then the human drama uh you know those parts of movies people are generally familiar with maybe not the exact scenario never had to travel across a country with someone in a coma of course but um you know just dealing with these new relationships and these new places and and um people uh, you know that's something everyone can kind of find a little bit of their own truth in so my biggest surprise is casa de lava and on the flip side of that, we have my biggest disappointment. So plenty of movies I thought were going to be good that weren't. Um, because I'm not going to mention it anywhere else, um, one of the contenders for this was Heat. I did end up giving Heat a positive score, but I think that movie had been built up a lot for me. And so it was kind of a come down when I actually saw it. Um... Let's see. I don't think anything else really had a shot at this other than the winner. And the winner is a film I ended up giving only one star to. And I won't say I had high expectations for it necessarily, but it has a really high score on on Letterboxd. Uh, People I respect, reviewers I respect on, on the site have given it high scores. And I did not find very much to really enjoy about House. House from 1977, directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi, is a Japanese film. It is a 
comedy fantasy horror it perhaps in its on its best day is um poking at just just generic corny horror movies and that's fine like if it's trying to be sort of a scary movie-esque type of a deal i get it uh but it just i think it, it misses that mark for me it doesn't ever feel like it's commentating on that stuff at least it didn't when i watched it it never felt like there's more than what I was seeing on screen and what I'm seeing on screen. And, and when you watch this movie, it's obvious and, and silly and dumb and, and just there's no substance to it. And for me, that it just period. Like that's just how I read the movie. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Maybe it is quite short. It's less than an hour and a half long, but I found very very little merit within house uh it only got one star instead of half a star because sometimes it was so bad you enjoyed it and maybe that's what a lot of people are seeing in their high ratings uh but that generally like it's still bad i guess is the point uh so um house was my biggest disappointment swinging back to the positive side funniest film this one was really tough uh and and that's because most of the movies i watched were not comedies um if i filter by the comedy uh genre i'm only left with eight movies one of them is house and i didn't find it funny uh got a couple of even worse movies on the list that are comedies you know, Downhill, which came out this year, I didn't find funny. But I did end up on the movie. I don't think it's good, but it definitely is the movie that made me laugh the most of all these. And that's Chances Are. Chances Are from 1989, starring Sybil Shepard, Robert Downey Jr., Ryan O'Neill, Mary Stuart Masterson, and Christopher McDonald, among others. Uh, directed by Emil Ardolino is follows a guy it follows christopher mcdonald who shortly after a year after he gets married dies and there's a mix-up in heaven or the afterlife i believe i don't know that they ever specify heaven but there's a mix-up in the afterlife and he ends up coming back to earth and is reborn uh and he grows up to be robert downey jr and then, you know, slowly remembers who he was and, and, you know, naturally interacts with all the people that he knew as a, you know, as himself. Uh, so to that end, uh, the plot is rough. The writing is also rough. But Robert Downey Jr. is pretty great in it. Uh, he gives it his all. He's young. Uh, he still has a lot of pep uh, in his performance, you know, he's very physical in this movie, a lot of physical humor that he pulls off very well. And despite myself, I found myself laughing uh, quite a bit throughout Chances Are. Uh, so, yeah, Chances Are. Uh, funniest movie I watched, and the bar is kind of low for this month. So, that's where we're at. Most forgettable film 
my general rule of thumb is I look through the list of movies, generally 30, 31 movies, and determine, all right, do I remember a specific scene from this movie, from that movie, from this movie, from that movie, from this movie? Um, you know, do I have a particular reaction when I see the poster, when I think of the people who are in it, uh, the subject matter? And whatever thing, you know, sparks the least reaction probably is the winner of this award. And that mo- this that, that movie this month is The Pelican Brief, which I look at the poster. It's got Julia Roberts' face on it. Uh, you pull up the webpage in Letterboxd. You got your Denzel, Julia, uh, splash image in the background. I, you know, I'm looking through the cast list. Sam Shepard, John Hurd, Tony Goldwyn. And I, I barely remember them being in the movie. Then you get further. Stanley Tucci, John Lithgow, Anthony Held. Uh, man, I, I don't remember. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't pick out a scene in this movie that they were in. This is a movie I watched because it made a lot of money, and that's mind-boggling that a movie so bland, in my opinion, could have done so well at the box office. I only gave it two stars. Uh, it it didn't wow me. It didn't, you know, wasn't very disappointing. It just felt, from my memory, it just felt very by the book political thriller, uh, straightforward, um, which is ridiculous when it's a movie about, uh, you know, the assassination of Supreme Court justices. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, I don't know. Uh, directed by Alan J. Pakula, <clears throat> uh, from written, you know, John Grisham, uh, is one of the writing credits on it. Uh, as well as, you know, Pakula, he's also a writing credit on the film. I, I don't know, I, I, I guess, I feel like it had all the pieces to be a good movie, and it just was just so unimpressive, top to bottom. And not that it was, you know, necessarily bad, it just was, without any additional uh, element to it. So, most forgettable film, The Pelican Brief. Most entertaining film. Uh, I kind of think of this one as the one that held my attention the most, the one I was most invested in, uh, the one that, you know, elicited the strongest emotional reactions from me. And oftentimes this film lines up with either funniest film or, you know, best film. But every once in a while, it doesn't. And this is a case where it doesn't. uh, Because my most entertaining film this month was The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Uh, Maybe it had something to do with the fact that I was watching the movie on one of my screens and reading the dialogue and and what the events of the movie on another screen due to how it ended up having to be watched uh, that caused me, you know, to focus even more and I was that much more invested. Maybe... Uh, But I really think it's the pace of the film. It's how quickly it moves from plot point to plot point, introducing characters, uh, you know, giving us these big moments, giving us these, you know, crazy events that take place, the magical flying horse, the sorcerer, Aladdin, the, you know, uh, the the magic carpet, the lamp, uh, the witch, all these different things, all these different elements that you know, I remember talking about it. It just—it's just a crazy movie, and it, and it just never lets its foot off of the gas. And so, 
I think that is what sets it apart. And 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 not to disparage the other movies that I think uh, were great that I watched that month this month. Uh, I think they're also great. They're also very entertaining, but none of them. I, I think it's the sort of erratic movements within Prince Achmed, which, as a film, I think are, are kind of a double-edged sword. But from an entertainment standpoint, are, are very very rewarding. Uh, so. Most entertaining film, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed. Highly recommend if you have the ability to check it out. All right. Now we got to talk about the worst film of the month. A couple of candidates. I ended up with four half-star films, uh, which is a lot. Uh, I'd have to go back to the record books to see if this is on... If there's any chance this was... Um, similar to to past months but it ended up uh without any real competition despite that uh because worst movie of the month for me is is hands down unplanned uh the other three half star films were war room johnny suede and cool world and i mean they're all awful uh none of them reached as low on the scale as unplanned did uh which I think says something about this movie and how uh, I don't know it's t you get these sort of uh, these these movies they have uh, apparently they're coming out a lot um, and they're on all sides of the spectrum politically socially uh, etc and you know these movies are here to make a statement uh, they're here to sway public opinion uh, one way or the other. And I think Unplanned definitely fits into that box. I think it's a movie that was in, intended to either, A, preach to the choir of people who are anti-abortion, or B, uh, find anybody who's maybe on the fence and, and try to push them into their corner. And I think if you're somebody who is pro-abortion, uh, you... There's nothing for you in this movie uh, from an ideological standpoint. But it's still a movie, and there are plenty of movies that I don't agree with on an ideological level. And yet, you know, and, and many of those movies are good movies for, you know, X, Y, Z reason. Uh, whether it's the performances, on plans performances are not very good. Whether it's um, the look of the movie, it's visually, you know, there's nothing exciting about the look of Unplanned. Uh, I think it plays more like you know, a lifetime movie than anything else. Uh, whether it's the plot, um, you know, sometimes you, you get a, a story that, you know, is is deep and, and interesting and, and challenging, uh, even if it's dealing with subject matter that, you know, you don't believe in or that you're against um, due to your, you know, due to how you are. And Unplanned does not have a compelling, challenging narrative to it. It has a narrative that within the scope of its own film has i believe many plot holes and and difficulty tripping over its own feet uh and that's only when you're looking at the movie itself when you look at the story it's based on i think it you know it has even more difficulty standing on two legs um so i just every single aspect of the film i think it suffers from 
it struggles with, it intentionally demonizes people who are pro-abortion, um, which is, you know, fine, I guess. Uh, but, you know, it's not... It just it makes the movie worse as a movie. You know, if you're if you're trying if you're telling a movie that's saying, guys, uh, this abortion thing is a bad thing and we should stop doing it. Um, you know, maybe not making your villains cartoons uh, could make the situation more real and and more you know visibly challenging as a as a as a for a viewer if you know when when you reduce the enemy to a cartoon uh it kind of diminishes the entire right you know entire subject of what's being discussed and talked about you know it, it loses all appeal as a debate topic um and and i think unplanned does that and it does it in more ways than just you know demonizing the the quote unquote bad guys but uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing here for it. You know, it's, it's, you're either nodding along or, um, you're rolling your eyes, um, both based on the content and based on the way it's presented. Uh, so worst film for me, it's unplanned. All right. What do we got left? Most powerful film. This is a big one. Uh, this is not best film. Uh, this is most powerful film. Some of the films that have lit, uh, received this award in the past are like The Seventh Seal, Do the Right Thing, Full Metal Jacket, uh, My Life as a Zucchini, Amistad, The Human Condition 2. Uh, you know, this is more of a, you know, how impactful was this movie? How big of a punch did this thing throw and unfortunately uh rocky 2 does not quite get there <laughs> uh it definitely throws the biggest punch but it does not really qualify for this category uh and it ended up being a film one i really loved i talked about it in the last uh top 10 mo movies of april episode i just did uh, but that is woman in the dunes woman in the dunes is incredibly powerful it is a brutal look at despair at human nature at the lengths people will go to and uh, the things that a person will do when pushed to those to the brink when pushed so far uh, that nothing else can possibly ever you know you, you've lost all hope nothing can ever save you and uh, it's it's really troubling, you know. It's it's not fun. It is not a fun movie to watch. Uh, so, to that end, I, I think Woman in the Dunes is is not fun, not easy. It's not entertaining. Uh, it's not funny. You're not gonna smile watching it, uh, but it will leave an imprint on you it will challenge you it will make you think about uh human nature and what it you know put you in the position of some of the characters in this movie and ask you why 
are they doing what they're doing? You know, you, you try to wrap your mind around yourself doing any of the things that are taking place and it's difficult. It's not easy to, to do. But I think at the same time, when you're watching Woman in the Dunes, you do empathize or, or sympathize with the situation and, and you kind of, there's just enough human nature there and just not just enough of a connection to think okay i i you know we're progressing deeper and deeper into this this psyche of these characters and i i can get it i get it i get why you would do something like this i get you i get why you would do something like this i understand it uh but it's um it is not for the faint of heart Woman in the Dunes is a very powerful movie and my most powerful film from April's Scavenger Hunt. All right. We got the big ones left. We got best performance, best direction, best scene, best film. We're going to start. Uh, well, I guess let me let me just kind of combine all these categories together because they're all the same movie. Okay. I haven't talked about it yet. It kind of blew everything else out of the water. And every once in a while this happens during a scavenger hunt. Uh, but Kagemusha is my best film. Kurosawa is my best director for this movie. Out of all the movies I saw this month. Tatsuya Nakadai as Kagemusha in Kagemusha. Best performance. And my favorite scene of that movie, which I also think is the best scene that I saw. Uh, though it definitely is not uh, as much... Not an easy as easy of a win as the other three categories but it's only competing against itself, really, uh, is the uh, the final moments of the Kagemusha in Kagemusha are my favorite scene, is are the best scene of the month that I saw. Uh, so, yeah, those, those are the winners. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of talk about the movie itself uh, as a way to check off all those boxes. So, Kagemusha is a fantastic film, Kurosawa. Uh, you know, directing this in the in 1980, released it. It ended up getting two Academy Award nominations for one for art direction, one for best foreign film. And Tatsuya Nakadai plays the lead role. He plays dual roles in the film for a period of time. And I, this is a three-hour film, and it it had my attention the whole way through. It absolutely you know sparkles whenever Tatsuya Nakadai is on screen Kurosawa is a master uh with you know you, you look at the scenes in this movie the the colors that he uses the um the way he presents these moments how he sets up and frames each shot the production you know there's a reason it got nominated it's fabulous it you know, you know, every movie of his I've ever seen, uh, there's no question how much attention to detail he, you know, Kurosawa pays to every single frame of his films. And Kagamusha is no exception. I was just thrilled beyond comprehension watching this movie. Nakadai is splendid. Uh, during the dual roles, he slips between those characters seamlessly. Uh, you could barely tell that it's the same person. And then when he uh, settles down into a single role for the remainder of the film, 
and you watch the transformation of this character in front of your eyes, it's it's remarkable the way he, his mannerisms, his his devotion to to this character. It, it, it's I, I'm you know so impressed by it. And I've I've seen some incredible performances from Tatsuya Nakadai, and and this one still topped all of them. Uh, the supporting cast uh, is there. Uh, I none of them stand out the same way, but I think it's all this collective effort to put the spotlight on Nakadai. He is the figure at the center of everything. Everyone else is just trying to hold on. And they do. Uh, the story is kind of simple, to be honest, uh, but it is presented in an internally complex way. Uh, that is what makes this movie so great, is how it is a very straightforward plot. But the narrative is difficult. It's complex. It, it requires a lot of discussion within the movie itself to you know to get from one point from one one scene to the next because there are many permutations there are many routes uh that the characters themselves have to take in order to reach the end and you might know where it's going but just getting there is such a blast it's so uh it's so enjoyable uh to live with these characters particularly uh the Kagamusha, played by Natsudai. Nakadai. Favorite scene is the last moment that uh, Nakadai has in the movie. I won't get too detailed about what it is, but I think it culminates everything we've seen from him prior to this. It is an incredible emotional payoff uh, for a character that has struggled and fought and clawed the, his way uh, through this three-hour movie. I think it is kind of one of those things where any other ending just wouldn't suffice. And even though you may have predicted it or figured out what was happening beforehand, it still leaves you satisfied when it happens. I, you know, I, I love the resolution of it all. The, the satisfaction that the story was not only well told, not only well performed, uh, but that it left me feeling whole at the end of it. That I felt like, yeah, there's nothing missing. Uh, this is this is a perfectly complete story, and so few films are able to do that. And it's not always, you know, uh, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing when a story is not complete, or when a film is not a complete story, but. I do think it is incredibly satisfying when it is, um, and and Kagamusha is, and you needed those three hours to get to that point to have that sort of catharsis uh, when it when the credits rolled. Um, you know, I talk about this more in in my top ten movies uh, from April. It won that list as well, uh, so I'm not going to you know spend much time getting into the, the nitty-gritty of it all 
I think it's an, an incredible film that that everyone should check out, especially if you're a fan of Kurosawa. There's no reason to to skip Kagemusha. Uh, I don't know why it took me as long as it did, but I'm really really happy I finally got got to see it. Now, typically, in these Cavender Hunt review episodes, I also do the top ten movies. However, however, it occurs to me looking at the top movies from this month, six of them are on my top. Uh, I believe six of them are on my top 10 from April. And uh, so Kagemusha, Woman in the Dunes, Adventures of Prince Ahmed, Sorcerer, Jean Dielman, 23, Quadra Commerce, uh, 1080 Brussels, and Casa de Lava, all on my top 10 from April. And so I don't feel like that needs to be reiterated. I will say that I'll go through, I'll mention and briefly touch on these seven movies, the other seven movies. Uh, that got positive scores from me. Frankie and Johnny, which is a romantic drama from 1991, starring Michelle Pfeiffer and Al Pacino. I liked it. I think it's very uh, inconsequential, but I liked it. Uh, Rocky II was fine. It's very much Rocky one. Uh, I think there was an interesting uh, aspect to it uh, with the Apollo Creed storyline, but I don't think the film does much with that, ultimately, um, unfortunately. The Spirit of the Beehive. Uh, I liked this. It's a very interesting, curious Spanish film uh, that involves Frankenstein and a traveling projectionist from the 1930s. Uh, I think it's from the night. It takes place in the 1930s. I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But it leads to a lot of uh, questions from a young girl, and uh, her kind of imagination runs wild. And I thought it was—I thought it had a lot of potential. I don't think it fully realized a lot, much of it, but it, it did enough where I enjoyed the film, and I think it is a good movie. Educating Peter is a short film that I believe won the Oscar uh, for best short documentary. Uh, and it is a pretty strong documentary that I think deserves to be shown in schools. It follows a Peter who is uh, a, a kid with Down syndrome and the way his teachers and fellow students uh, react and treat him in the classroom. Then there's Heat, which I already mentioned, kind of let down, but I still think it's a solid film overall. Bound for Glory from 1976, directed by Hal Ashby. Uh, a biography about Woody Guthrie, who I'm not really familiar with, and I don't feel super familiar with after watching the movie. Just kind of general overview, perhaps, of his desires to, uh, I don't know, liberate and, and uplift the working class. And maybe that's all I need to know. But uh, I did feel a little underwhelmed. And finally... Another Kurosawa film, Dersu Uzala. Uh, this was his film pro right before Kagemusha. came out in 1975. It won Best Foreign Film. I'm a little c c curious about that. It wasn't a movie that I had a particularly strong reaction to. It's one of my lower-rated Kurosawa films, despite the fact that I still think it's good. Um, it doesn't feature any you know, big names that I was familiar with, but the sort of... Um, I don't know, it follows an explorer who befriends a Goldie man 
uh, and, and the bond between them that develops as they uh, traverse the Siberian uh, woods during winter. And again, like, not a bad movie. There's plenty to enjoy in this. I think the performances are really strong. And I think, you know, like every Kurosawa film, his attention to detail, the way he presents each shot, his his uh, art direction, his set direction, um, all of that is is great. Uh, I just think the film, I don't know, it lacked a invigoration. It lacked a, a flair that I, I think I've come to really grow accustomed to uh, from many of Kurosawa's other films. So, Dursu Uzala rounds out the other films uh, from the Scavatron that I gave a positive score to uh, that didn't make the list, uh, the top 10 list from April. So, that's where I'm going to leave it, actually. That is the end of this episode. Thank you for listening. It does mean a lot. If you'd like to find more episodes of the show, you can find them on iTunes, Stitcher, places where podcasts can be found. You can head over to the website, circlefilm.com, find uh, a list of all the other films that I and, and scavenger hunt superlatives that I've given out in the past uh, including all the episodes and much more if you'd like to find me I'm on letterboxd at circle of film I'm on twitter at circle of film and you can email circle of film at gmail.com about anything everything if you'd like to support the show like it rate it review it subscribe to it tell somebody about it uh, or listen listening uh, is the best thing you can do if you'd like to support the show monetarily you can become a patron at patreon.com slash circle of film where for as little as one dollar a month you can have early access to all the episodes that are released early uh additionally i have to thank brian for being such a wonderful and uh generous patron to the show it does mean a lot and uh thank you the listener for listening because again that is the most important thing and as always have a week without a trace nothing's gone forever only out of place so long farewell oh what are we to say wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute